Hello, hi, howdy, and welcome to The Bake Take. This is going to be a special episode featuring two of my phenomenal comrades from Liberators. Uh, Liberators DC, which I talk about pretty often, is a black radical organization here in DC. Um, and basically the goal is to like spread uh, radical knowledge and to like kill the gatekeeper of knowledge. Um, and so I have two of my colleagues from there. I say colleagues, we're not in a professional sense. I have two of my comrades um, <laughs> from there. We have Sweta and not Michael. Um, you guys want to say hi? Hi. Hello. Well, excited to be here. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys uh, just wrapped up on your first like collab Theory Night, um, and Theory Night essentially with Liberators, um, do y'all want to like just tell us a little bit more about what Theory Night does or like what the goal is there? Yeah, the idea is to sort of talk about concepts, talk about ideas, and develop like a, a better analysis without for people who don't necessarily have time to read like a ton of books. And so for this theory night, y'all were focusing on like gentrification and specifically gentrification in DC. Okay, so first I just wanna ask a little bit of general question. Does anyone, could anyone give me a definition of what gentrification is? And we're just putting more money into the community and make people live in and displace people that used to be there. here's all these murals to attract people in. And at the same time, like as an artist, if you can't work here, like you don't have space, it's impossible to like create culture or contribute to the culture without living here. Like the real estate is so, at such a premium, studio space is so incredibly expensive that a lot of artists go up to Baltimore, go out into Hyattsville, like there are different spaces that are more welcoming to artists, but I think about art as like the culture of the city gets depleted when artists have to leave because they can't afford to live here. And at the same time, artists can be the first wave of gentrifiers in making something appealing that's mm -hmm. otherwise not seen as appealing to a larger audience. And what kind of like led y'all to pick that as a topic? Um. Well, when we were discussing topics, we were um, 
the first thing you think about doing international solidarity, which you know is an amazing topic to do. But we thought that a topic like that should you know have more work put into it. it should be something bigger than you know just like this this theory night. So then we thought you know gentrification. It's something that's really you know occurring. There's a lot of history behind it. You know, and there's a lot that could be talked about. And I felt when I was when I, when I thought about this topic, I thought people hear about it all the time, but nobody really has done a lot of work to understand gentrification. Because as we you know learn today, it is a lot more nuanced and complex than we than we think it is. And I think one of the things that uh, I kept hearing was a lot of people saying like, oh, well, you know, I'm not from here or I'm coming from another place. And that's something that we really s discussed was like the concept of like um, in, in indignity, how did y'all say? Indigeneity. Thank you, indigeneity, thank you. Words are not coming at this point. And, <laughs> um, but indigeneity and like um, that, term in relation to gentrification and I guess like what ways do y'all feel that we can like overcome that dichotomy really um, of not being like native to this land um, but also not wanting to be a gentrifier. Yeah well I, I think what we came to tonight was thinking of gentrification as a set of practices and a set of actions and intentions and not so much something that you just are and that you can't resist. So I feel like my whole life I've thought of gentrification as something that just happens, but really it's like a set of choices. So it's it's things we can, you know, it, it, you aren't just a gentrifier, you can like, you know, even, even as someone who's displacing people, who's like college educated, who's going to a place you're not from, you can still do things to, you know, resist uh, the effects of gentrification. And I think in DC, it's so interesting. Like in DC specifically, I feel like uh, we're kind of similar to New York and um, LA and other large cities where so many people are transplants coming here. And um, I guess like, what, what are some ways that people can move to a city and not necessarily be labeled as a gentrifier? Well, I think one thing that we succeeded in here tonight that, you know, you know, part of the bigger question about how you can you move somewhere else and not be a gentrifier is first like demystifying the term gentrification. It's not like an identity per se, and it's not a natural phenomenon. Gentrification is a social phenomenon. It's very much a social construct. It's a you know, uh, it's a bunch of practices that you know make you into a gentrifier. You have to think about these practices. You have to think about what are the actions that I'm doing that make me a gentrifier. Once you realize what you're doing, that you know, once you, once you realize what you're doing, once you realize what, how, what what kind of impact you have in your community, then you can start the work of oh, anti-gentrification, of not being a gentrifier. That's what's you know the important thing is realizing your impact, realizing is my impact negative, and then changing that impact into, into something more positive. Yeah, and I think a lot of it, like what we came to tonight, is a lot of it is where you spend your money, like what you're investing in, and. Uh, also like what relationships you have, like are you connected to your community? And those are things that don't necessarily have to do with you know, where you come from, it's like the choices you make once you are somewhere else. And you know, we see a lot of these uh, luxury apartments being built, all of these uh, Whole Foods going up, Starbucks on every block. Um, but what are some ways like even within like a capitalist society that we can really combat 
uh, gentrification um, even, or in, an, in an economic sense? Um, I think one way you can combat it, there's a lot of, um, I think, simple things we can do to combat gentrification. One thing I think is, for one, wealthier people, people who have, you know, surplus money, even someone who has like a couple hundred dollars here or there, they are putting that money in towards, how can I say it, more into their community and not into, in, into themselves. Um, then that may seem like, you know, oh, you're denying yourself, you know, the right to have fun or whatever, but that's not what that is. It's just like, okay, I have a couple hundred dollars here. I can give this to somebody who needs it. Or, hey, I have, you know, extra food. I can give this to, like, maybe a food bank. Just doing things, like little things here and there. And, you know, if everyone is doing these little things, it becomes a much larger impact is what I'm trying to, to say, if that makes sense. I think that makes sense, um, especially when you think about, like, I saw this TikTok that was like, oh, you know, uh, it was about this transplant in New York, and they're like, every time I pass an unhoused person, I give them money because they, you know, it's possible that they were displaced, um, you know, from somebody like me. And it's like being like that much more conscious about like the effects that even like living in your neighborhood, like living in your apartment, living in your dwelling can have um, on your neighborhood. Like it's possible that your dwelling was constructed to displace uh, people that had lived there for generations. Um, but I do wanna quickly just interject and say, I know we're like just getting started in the conversation, but it's like 9.30 at night and folks are getting like tired and hungry. Um, so Sweta's gonna be heading out soon, but before you head out Sweta, um, did you want to depart with like any more words on gentrification and just how we can do better to combat it? Sure. I mean, I guess like I feel like I am just like thinking more critically about my role. Like, I like something that this tonight surfaced for me is like the relationship between gentrification and settler colonialism and like how it's so so much like a reenactment of dynamics that have happened before in this country and are still happening. So. Just like I don't know, drawing some links between my role as a you know as a colonizer on top of being a gentrifier and like yeah, just like trying to understand better like the role like my own identity as an immigrant as a like as someone living in like colonized land as someone like you know like how all of these interrelate and how all these systems you know fighting both like by by giving people things by like mutual aid but also through like challenging these systems that make it so that it almost feels like it's inevitable, even though it's not, like that we can't live any other way. So like, you know, like policy change, like more systemic change as well. And I think like something else that was highlighted a lot, a lot specifically in DC is that uh, the bureaucracy is just so difficult oh, yeah. um, and it's hard to get through. So I think that another big part just to add on to what you're saying is to like be very active in the politics you know mm, yeah. um of the area just so that you can learn more about like how how uh, business development is coming in and mm. displacing people or how uh, more money is going to go to the police that's going to go to the over policing mm. of this area that they're trying to like uh, remove people from you know so um, I just want to take a moment and before you head out and give you your kudos for putting this together. 
Um, we're here clapping, um, but <laughs> um, definitely also want to make sure that you are nourished and appreciate you, you so taking much. the time, of thank course. You. Thank, thank you, Michael, for helping, uh, for doing so thank much you. work here. You've done, you were amazing to work with. No, 10 out of 10. Hell yeah, see ya. Enjoy your food. See ya. Be safe. And then friends, with that, we are going to take a little smoke break. So BRB. and we're back um, and so we're just joined by Michael in the second half or not Michael um, <laughs> however however you'd like to be called today what's your name today you know I'm really feeling like Michael right now okay but not Michael's always appropriate <laughs> It's always appropriate. It's never wrong to, to, to call me that. Okay. All right. So either or works, but Michael is the strong preference. Yeah, right now. Okay. And it could change at any moment. Yeah. <laughs> gotta keep them guessing. You know? Gotta keep these hoes on their toes. <laughs> but um, before we left out, we were talking about the uh, theory night that Liberators had hosted tonight and gentrification and um, <clears throat> basically just how we can, like how, how our actions play into gentrification, right? Uh, I, um, I thought we could also talk a little about how communities can resist or how individuals can resist gentrification. So that was the other thing. Um, yeah, and what gentrification, like, I don't know, I feel like it's really easy for people like me who are like transplants to DC to think of gentrification as this thing that just naturally happens instead of like a conscious like decision made by people with power and you know and consumers like me. So uh, gentrification is like a conscious political project by the government, by cops, by developers who are given enormous amounts of power within our housing policy landscape and uh, and there are things we can do to resist it. It's not just like, you know, a force of nature. And one of the questions that was asked for a group discussion is, what is your relationship to your local community? And do you feel connected to the people in your community? And I didn't get a chance to hear your response. I don't think you were in a group. Yeah. But I did want to hear your response on that. And also just like, um, I guess in addition to that, what do you feel um, you could do to kind of like improve your relationship with your community if you're not like at a point where you think you want to be? Thank you. Okay, so I live in Noma right now. And, um, it's in Northeast DC. Uh, it's a pretty like, built up area. Um, it's been heavily gentrified. Not even like 20 years ago. I remember um, being a child in DC and thinking Noma was like gross because it's just a bunch of junkyards. Now it's just a bunch of, you know, huge apartment buildings. That's what Noma is now. Like it's Noma, just like it's, it's buildings. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of unhealthy people in my area in Noma, um, and they're often really ignored. They're just like people pass them right on by to go to work or wherever they're going. I am trying to be more conscious in you know how I look in my community and how, in my impact. So I often will try to give them food, you know, buy the things that they need, you know, toiletry items. I don't have a lot of money, but when I do have like, you know, extra to spend, I will try to, you know, 
spend that money on them or just you know giving them just treating them like a human being is at, is what it's at its core not just me buying them things but treating them like human beings because they're just ignored they're just like you know just passing right on by like they don't even exist yeah and i think once we start getting to that point of like we're literally just dehumanizing these people for being homeless for being un- unhoused for being poor and I don't think that's the point that we should get to, but unfortunately, I think a lot of people in D.C. have already gotten to that point where they're just yeah. so worried about themselves. They're so individualistic that they don't think about their community at all. And, and sorry, just to add to your point quickly, um, you see this even at like the, uh, the encampment in D.C. that was at 11th and K in Northwest and how there are plans to turn that into a dog park. Um, And it's like there were people living there. Um, It was a whole block of land that was unused. It was a whole park that was basically unused. Um, And there were people that had like built a community there, you know, and they essentially uh, removed the people from that community, blocked the park off, and there's now plans to turn that into a dog park. And it's like... It's It's by that Walmart, right? Um, it's, oh, it's, not, it's not, not that one. Not that one. It's by the, um, it's like right next to a firehouse. <laughs> oh, and a truck. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, no, I said 11th and K. We're at 11th and K. That's the Eaton. I forgot where, where I'm thinking about. It might be 11th and O. Okay, that's what you mean. Sorry. It's okay. It's, it's 935. My geography is not the best right now. Um... Man, no. Well, wherever it is, it's by a firehouse, and there are plans to turn it into a dog park. And it's like just getting to the point of like, these are people's lives, like, these are human beings. Um, So, I guess, like, with that and like with building community, uh, one of the things that like you're really focusing on right now is like really just building a community with like the unhoused folks. Um, that live by you, but do you see yourself really building a community with like your neighbors that are housed, you know, um, and that perhaps do own property um, in the area or maybe they're renting out or do you feel like there's like a difference in uh, how you might like approach one of your neighbors depending on uh, their their property ownership status. <laughs> well, I don't really know the um, status of whether they own their homes or not, like in my neighborhood. But I do have some pretty nice neighbors. Uh, pretty nosy, but they, I'm nosy too, so I can't even. <laughs> like I, I will I'm open crying. up the window to see what's going on, you know, outside. I'm, but I'm that's that like community care. Like yeah. you just checking to make sure everybody's okay. Yeah. I also want another drama. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'll use it for an example. When I was first moving in, this guy, his name was Phil. Phil was with this younger white dude. Don't really know Phil like that, but he was just very nice and you know welcoming to me. Um, he's like you know welcome. Like, very, so happy to you know that, that, that you're living here. If you need anything, you know you, you can ask me for something like that or whatever. He was just very, you know, welcoming. And there's another woman, I can't remember her name is, but she was across the street from me. She's an older black woman. She's been living in that home for like years, for like decades almost. And I think she's been there for, she said about 30 years in, in, in that house in DC, in, in 
Northeast DC. And I never heard talk to her except for when I moved in. And then again, it happened because I thought my package had got stolen. I came home and one of my packages that I ordered just wasn't there. And I'm like, shit, someone stole my package. Like, Rip. it fucking happens. <laughs> I thought I was safe, but it, I was not. And then this older woman who had been living there for like 30, 30, 40 years, she knocks on my door later that night and is like, oh, I have your package here. It looked like somebody was gonna take it, so I just picked it up for myself. This is what community from looks them, like. And I've had it in my house, like, and, and, I, and I went until you got home. And that's so wholesome. And she's like, here's her package. And I was just, I really just really loved that she did that. Yeah. You know, she saw, like, you know, something might have happened to, like, my little package or whatever. And she just picked it up. Like, I didn't ask her. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't you know, offer her anything. Yeah. She just did it because, you know, that's what she does. Like, I, straight, up, straight up out of the kindness of her heart. And it's like, that's and something. It's like little things. Like yeah. That. Little things. It doesn't take, you know, these big grand gestures. That's what I'm trying to, you know. That's what I tried to, like, you know, get, a, get across people's minds at this theory night. You know, I'm, it's unrealistic to expect someone who's working class, someone who works for a living, someone who has to go to work every day to just, you know, be able to give thousands of dollars to whatever, you know, yeah. they want to give to. That's unrealistic. It's these little things, these little gestures that, you know, each and every person's doing. It makes a big impact. But like, all so to add to your point, like all of us might not have like money as a resource, but most of us generally have time, you know. Um, right. So I think that like we really have to really just prioritize. Like, sure, we might not be able to give a few extra dollars. Like, I've definitely been in a scenario where you know I might. Uh, past like an unhoused neighbor on the street and I'm like sorry big dog like I ain't got no cash on me um but I can definitely like sit and chat or I'll be like well I do have my card we can run up and go get something to Absolutely. eat you know um so you know uh so it's like you there is like some kind of resource that you can offer even if it is just your time and sitting and like holding a conversation and that's like most likely treating people like they're human beings not just ignoring them yeah like, oh, i can't help you moving on or just ignoring them or just yeah completely ignoring them and i feel like that's the honestly the, the more common interaction that yeah. we see is that like folks are completely ignored and it seems that oftentimes um when you do interact with them they seem like surprised they're like taken aback you know yeah. and it's like this shouldn't be the uh anomaly yeah. yeah like this should be like a, a common interaction for you um and for every for every person i feel like should just like be greeted with fucking kindness in this world and i think that that's something that we just get so lost in in this individualistic capitalist society um but that's i mean that's that's still rooted in gentrification or gentrification is rooted in that absolutely yeah um but still just going along with the questions um what do you feel is your responsibility to your community well i feel that because i'm I'm one, an able-bodied person. I'm physically you know, capable of helping other people, mentally, physically, and financially able to help other people. I feel that it is my responsibility to, one, be as compassionate as possible mm. to people regardless of the situation. I feel that 
if I can help somebody, I should be doing it. I feel that even if it may sometimes come at a personal cost to me, I should be someone who's there for other people in my community. I always think about my impact and I've all, all for the last couple of years I've thought to myself, how am I impacting this world? How am I impacting you know the local community where, where I'm living? And I came to you know the conclusion that I want my impact to be overall positive. I want to be someone who can help other people in my yeah. community in whatever way I can. Because like you said, sometimes you may not have money, but you have time. You you have your labor. You have you know resources that, resources that you can share. That's what I want to. That I, that's my responsibility to my community is to be someone who's always thinking about holding the community together yeah. and not just being so like overly individualistic. And that's, I think, so difficult with the fucking Instagrams and the Twitters. And I think like specifically Instagram where like we're looking at like our best version of ourselves, right? <laughs> um, and it's just so hard not to get caught up in like what is like best for me in this moment as opposed to like what's best for my community member and um i think like when people do pass like unhoused people on the street they're thinking in the moment what's best for me is to not have this interaction so that it won't weigh on my mind later um yeah i think that's actually I'm really, i really have to you brought that up about that interaction not weighing on them these a lot of people who you know are living here in DC, you know, who will ignore an unhoused person. They don't want the, they don't think of themselves as bad people. They don't want to be thought of as, as a bad person. And they do this while also ignoring unhoused people. Yeah. They do this while also treating them like as if they're not there, as if they're invisible. Just walk right by them. They'll see like, this disassociation. They'll see that that they're in need, and they'll just like oh. I, I cannot see it, I, I don't hear you, I don't see you, you're not here. It's weird sometimes to me how you can think to yourself, oh, I don't want to be a bad person, I'm not a bad person, me ignoring them isn't bad, but then you're, you're just literally treating them as, you're dehumanizing them by, by treating them that way. Yeah. So sometimes I often wonder, you know, are you fighting with that? Are you, is that something that like, you wrestle with? How do you go about your day? knowing that you treat people as if they're as if they don't matter and then say oh well i'm not a bad person yeah and i think like just bringing it back to like gentrification like what i was saying earlier with like especially with somebody being a transplant how do you pass unhoused people on your block <laughs> and not have a relationship with them like no. how do you move to a neighborhood and not say or like not try to get to know your neighbors um, and not necessarily the neighbors that, you know, have a, a, a bed that they can lay in at night, you know? Um, I, yeah, I just think it's so wild that people just skip over that when getting to know their neighborhood. Yeah, I think it's because a lot of times, you know, especially in America, we've grown up thinking that our community really isn't where we live like you know, our neighborhood, our family, that, that it's not exactly where we live. It's more so about who lives with you in your home. It's mm -hmm. your community. And a lot of Americans think, you know, community's just, oh, my partner, my romantic partner, if I have one, 
and your kids. Yeah. That's a, that's pretty much about it. Maybe, maybe like a fucking dog or whatever, but you know, your community is very small. Yeah. Th- those are your people. They don't see their next door neighbors as their people. They don't see their, you know, the people who they're living with, as, the people living in their community as their people as well. They see them as someone totally separate. They just live next door to me. They're, they're nobody to me. And I think that's where the problem starts, if that makes sense. I mean, but that's also uh, part of the solution, right? Um, with kind of like combating the effects of gentrification. And I think one of the larger effects of gentrification is the over-policing, right? And we see that in, you know, throughout DC, um, where there will be a cop, you know, on every block in like these areas that are like prime for gentrification, essentially, um, or that have already been gentrified. Um, And I guess like, one of the big things that I really want to focus on as a, a combatant against gentrification is doing like cop watch mm. and really like stepping <coughs> up uh, like you're you're fine um, abolitionist practices um, and having that be a tool against gentrification because there's no way to achieve gentrification or to uh, achieve like ending gentrification without cutting back on police. Like the police are a tool of gentrification because mm-hmm. um, they're there, you know, to protect property. So I guess like, what would you say to somebody who was like pro police or ambivalent, I guess? Um, but anti-gentrification. Damn. Those are two very... So let me, may I clarify what you're saying? Sure. So somebody who believes in the police, but they also, like, on the, on the, on the other side, believe in, like, oh, gentrification's wrong? Yeah. Well, for one, I would say uh, policing is a big part of gentrification. So... For one, being pro-police and then being anti-gentrification is like a clash. Like it's kind of just not possible to be to be quite honest. Hey, how's it going? Um, I would say that you know that's not just not possible to be honest. Like straight up, it's not possible. It can't happen because one, I think I we didn't go over it that much in the um, in theory night, but there is a link between policing and gentrification because. Once gentrification starts, that's when, you know, people are being pushed out. And they're often pushed out through, you know, crime or things like that. Poverty and homelessness is criminalized because they don't want you in that area that's, you know, prime real estate or whatever. So I would would tell them to maybe examine their politics a little bit more, to be a little little bit more critical with with themselves, and to maybe look at the links between policing and gentrification and after they look at those links, you know, maybe do like a, a self-check or a self-reflection. Yeah. Be like, hey, can I really keep this belief? Just because like the facts are right there about policing and gentrification. Yeah, like they're two opposing beliefs. I, 
I couldn't I couldn't see somebody holding those beliefs. I mean, but I'm sure there's somebody out there. But I feel like that's solid advice if somebody did feel that way. Yeah. Um, it's, it's that gentle gentrification. Yeah, and that's another thing that we hit on a little bit more. Um, that was a new term for me. Um, <laughs> would you be down to explain it a little more? Okay. So as I was researching gentrification for Theory Night, I came across a term called gentle gentrification and i was like what the what what is gentle gentrification because it like it it, it it just sounds weird yeah it's something trying to make something nice they're trying to romanticize well gentrification yeah which essentially which is essentially what it is it's saying oh we're wealthier people are going to move into your neighborhood but they're going to bring their wealth and their skills and their power and they're going to make the neighborhood better for everyone to live in and they're going to you know do great things for the neighborhood that can even impact, you know, like the the, the unhoused people. They're gonna be their nonprofits. They're gonna make their non They're gonna make their charities, their food banks. Right. They're gonna set up. The, they're gonna set up their programs. They're gonna help so so many people. But they're also gentrifying your neighborhood. They're buying up property. They're hoarding resources, and they're and they're just kind of handing handing out little pieces of you know their resources whenever they feel like it to who they see fit to hand it out to. It's like, you know, oh yeah, you deserve, you know, money. You deserve money. No, you you don't deserve any money. You deserve to have a house. You deserve to have a house, but you, I'm so sorry, there's not enough housing for you. Come back and come back another time, fill out the form, fill out all the paperwork. So that's kinda like what gentle gentrification is. It's like, yeah, we're we've moved in and we've totally changed everything and we've displaced everything. But don't worry because we're we're good people at heart, and we're gonna bring resources. We're gonna bring our power, and we're gonna just have spread it out to everybody. And with like all of with everything you were just saying, it just reminded me of like a situation that a lot of people have been facing, and like trying to get housing and securing a, a securing housing through the lottery, mm. and. Um, I know we had discussed this recently where I was like, oh, you know, there was this story about this lady and da 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 And you were like, oh, well, I know, you know, do you care to tell more about, like, your uh, personal relationship with that story about the oh, housing yes, lottery? yes, yes, Um I was dating somebody um, just recently, and he has a second, he has two properties here in D.C., If you want to tell that, you can. But I was <laughs> talking about the housing lottery and how, like, somebody in your family had, like, applied years ago. Oh. But if you want to tell the other story, you can. We can. We can tell the other story. We can tell the other story. Okay. I, to I totally missed it. <laughs> My but bad. No, I, I wasn't clear. I've already started, so I might as well But, yeah, go anyways. through it. So, so they got the two properties. We're going to get personal. <laughs> so I was dating somebody just recently. We're not really, we're not dating anymore. Well, damn, Rip. Um, it's, it's not Rip. <laughs> Fuck them. I'm crying. Um, and he's a bit more wealthier. He's about thirty, and so he has like you know a second property at thirty. You know that's that's a lot. Yeah. And he was complaining because he wanted to rent out his second unit to someone to who who has a who has a housing voucher. He wants someone on public assistance to live in a house. Like that's a great thing. They need those homes. But he was complaining that nobody with the housing voucher was like trying to like rent his apartment, trying to rent his, his, his condo or whatever. 
And I was like, that sounds kind of weird because those people usually are very, like, intentional about getting their own home. Like, right. Like, getting their homes, using this housing voucher. And he just complained the entire time about, oh, yeah, I'm paying all these bills for both for both properties, and nobody wants to rent my nobody wants to rent my second unit. I'm just gonna put it on like you know like Facebook like Facebook you know marketplace or whatever or like rent cafe, and I'm sure it's gonna be grabbed up by somebody you know who actually has money. I was like, like excuse me, like that's first off that's really classist. Yeah, and also that's just generally just really fucking nasty. Yeah, uh, and he essentially came to, to the conclusion that these people who are on public assistance, these people who, you know, for public housing and housing vouchers, they're not really trying to get, you know, in, into a home. They're, they're, they're not really trying to get housing. Right, right, they're right. They're just wasting the government's time, wasting the government's money. Right. That, that's exactly what he thinks now. And, like, he's very steadfast in those beliefs. Because people, like, want to fill out this paperwork yeah, and, like, pe- go pe- through people this. Want to, people wanted to stand out, people wanted to stand out a line for two hours at MLK Library on a fucking Wednesday. Just to be told they didn't bring all the right documents. Right. So it's like, no, people actually want to use these things. Like. I, low-key, I think he was just pricing it, pricing it too high. Probably. Because it, it, it isn't like Adams Morgan. It's like, you know, it's supposed to be like a nicer area, so. But it's also giving gentrifier, like, it's very regardless. much gentrifier. Uh, regardless of if he was going to be giving it to somebody with a housing voucher, like, it's giving gentrifier. Um, but I did also want to, um, have you share about your family member who had applied through the housing voucher program. So my mom had, um, when I, when she was about 18, uh, 18 or 19, my parents applied for like public housing and stuff like that. They applied for all the public assistance, all of it. And they had been on this list for like decades. And it had been like about 20 years and they got some notification about, oh yeah, you're still on the list. You're still, you know, in the running to like get assistance. They hadn't even been approved It's coming. They hadn't even been approved. They were just on the list to get approved. They they weren't like, you know, in the filing system for, you know, DC public assistance or whatever saying, oh yeah, don't worry. We didn't forget about you. Yeah. We're working on it. My mom, my parents were like, it's been 20 years. We graduated college. We got our own house. We, you know, got better paying jobs. They did everything that, that they needed to do to, like, get better housing. Because they got tired of waiting right. for public assistance. And it never came. It, it's never, it hasn't came. It's been, like, 30 years. Like? Almost 30 years. What's going on? And that, um, <laughs> we... I had like mentioned that because I had heard like a similar story about somebody who had gotten theirs after like 20 years of being in the system. And it's like, we have like this bureaucracy that's blocking people from getting uh, access to, uh, to like quality housing, not just housing, quality housing. Um, Cause that's like another issue yeah. that we're seeing is um, a lot of landlords will uh, basically like delay repairs or just not do repairs at all so people move the fuck out so that they can sell the property so that they can sell it to a developer and a developer can put in a fucking high rise and um, you know so that's like a big issue that folks are facing um, is that like they're just not getting the repairs or you'll have 
these companies that are selling homes to, and it seems very intentionally targeted, they're selling them at low prices to black families and the homes just aren't quality. Uh, they will have like some kind of issue with the piping or some kind of issue with the HVAC or whatever the fuck it might be. And it's something that the house shouldn't have been sold in that condition, um, you know? And I even saw this report about like somebody who had fucking rats in a home that she owned because something that the uh, developer had done when they built the home just did not like prevent them from coming in. Like something basically just let them bitches in, like mm. allowed them in essentially, like open the door. No. Like, mice is one thing, but rats? These DCYs are huge. Like, <laughs> no. Like, so I cannot imagine, um, like, just becoming a first-time homeowner, feeling like I did all the right things, you know, and um, getting into the situation where now I'm stuck with thousands of dollars of repairs because they fucked me over on that. Um, so that's just like another, I guess, like effect of gentrification is that like the black folks that are able to get housing or uh, become homeowners aren't getting quality housing. And the folks that are staying um, like in their rental dwellings or rented dwellings aren't, still aren't getting quality housing because they're being pushed out. But with all of that, I'm just gonna move into the last question. Um, or no, I've got two more. But um, how can gentrifiers reduce the negative impact that they have on their communities? Um, well, I think I did briefly touch on this. One is um, everyone doing you know these these little tasks, these little acts of you know compassion towards people to, you know, have a more, I want to say, holistic community, a more happy, like a more happier, healthier, you know, community, a more connected community. Yeah. Because unfortunately, one of the hallmarks of gentrification is the loss of, you know, community networks. Yeah. So I think that's something that, you know, we can do is prioritize our community networks, prioritize our relationships with our community. Um, I think another thing that gentrifiers could do is literally just not buy up all the property. Yeah. Just literally stop doing that. Just stop. Like that's it. Like don't don't do it less. Just don't, like don't. don't don't do it other way. Don't do it in other areas. Don't don't go don't go to another city and do it. Like. Just don't do it. I promise you, you don't need that that many homes. You don't need that much property. You don't. You don't. Like, babe, that's enough. You don't. Like more so than just, one, you're doing better just, than. Like ninety percent of the population, of people. at so, least ninety percent. Just stop doing that. Like, there's just this like capitalist need to have more than anybody else. You just yeah. have a lot, and it's like, oh, if you have a lot, then you've won at life. You're successful. You're smart. You're it. You're great because you did it. You you got all the capital. You got all the property. Let that idea go, because it's not helping anybody else. It's it's. It's the reason why we're in the situation we're in now, where things are so unaffordable, because people just want more and more and more and more. So I think that's what 
you know gentrifiers have to do is to let their their because they don't need that much property they think they do right let let the belief that you need more than anybody else go yeah and that's gonna help reduce the negative impact by a lot but um, I did want to go back to what you were saying about uh, networks and like how gentrification breaks networks and I think it's so important to highlight that because I'm just thinking of like coming up even in like my first few years I lived really close to a lot of my family I still lived uh, I grew my first few years I grew up in Seed Pleasant and so my family's based in DC most of them and then I got some family out in PG so um, if my parents needed you know child care or whatever it might be one of my family members was just a call away um, and I think with you know gentrification it's placing people like um and especially like the younger generation like there's kind of like a a bell curve almost um with like the age demographic here especially of like young black people um in this city there's like a bell curve almost um because you'll have like the older people that are here but the older people are dying um but you have like the people that are like our parents age who well i know your parents still live in the city right no my parents oh shit they, um, well, my parents, um, they live in Maryland now. Okay. Yeah, yeah no, insane. Like, my parents. County, Maryland. Yeah. My parents live in Maryland, and they <laughs> weren't necessarily displaced. Like, they made that, um, they made that choice just to give us better options for, like, schooling and all of that stuff. Um, but, I mean, still, in a way displaced because there weren't options for good schooling um like where they grew up and yeah um so yeah with all of that the final question that i have for you is what does your ideal community look like hmm. i really like the question i'm really glad um Swetha asked that question yeah shout out to Swetha. Shout out to my boo, my girl, okay. Um, my ideal community would look like one, everyone has what they need. Their basic needs are met in terms of housing, food, clothes, and healthcare. They have all those. They, they have it. They, they, they don't like it. There's not, they have quality housing, quality healthcare, quality food. And then on top of that, people are compassionate towards one another. Everyone isn't so individualistic. We are individuals, 100%. But we're not alone on this earth. We are right. all, we're all together. There's no reason to act like we're alone. So I think, you know, everyone just recognizing that if we work together more, we'd all be in a much better place. Like society would be in a much better place. Instead of just trying to secure yourself, you're trying to secure not only yourself, but other people as well. I think that's what my dream neighborhood looks like. Period. Get the bag for the community. Well, Michael, that's all I got for you. Is there anything else that you want to add before we go? Um, you know... 
Hey, Kyle. <laughs> Always carry a book. <laughs> Always carry a book. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we got. Y'all fucking. Oh, um, make sure you follow Liberators on Instagram and Twitter. If you don't already, it's at Liberators, L-I-B-E-R-E-A-D-E-R-S. It's also in the description. So I really didn't have to spell that for you because you can just copy and paste. Um, but follow them and talk to you later. Stay dank. Mm. Bye. Bye.